This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the OSHA Compliance Help Show. This is your host, Sheldon Primus. This is a show where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. Today we're actually going to go into our second episode related to OSHA record keeping. So we did one already. This one we're going to go ahead and talk about a few extra things. First is going to be the five-step process of OSHA record keeping. So as a review, we went over in episode one, and this is going to be record keeping 2022 because I've done another one in 2021, but we had a little extra stuff happen in 2021 that is going to really pertain to new record keeping instances. So I figured let's go ahead and do this again because it's top of mind. It's almost to a compliance deadline for March 1st, excuse me, March 2nd. So I said, let's go ahead and do this one. I got to, I got to make sure that I take care of my peeps and that's you guys. So this is an overview first of what we did. Uh, We talked about who is required to maintain records. We also talked about record keeping with COVID-19. And again, I'm going to tell you with the COVID-19, in case you didn't hear it in the first episode, uh, I definitely will suggest you go back and listen to episode one. But to focus on this slightly as we're doing this intro would be to make sure that if you do have a cluster more than one person that is diagnosed with COVID-19 one is going to be hard but the second, the third, the fourth at that point if any of them become hospitalized then OSHA is going to need that call within 24 hours and if any of them miss work or any of the other things that would put it in the record keeping criteria record it as a workplace injury. Don't mess around with this regardless of how you feel about where they could have got it or anything uh, you don't want to mess around with this one because it could be a hefty fine so put politics aside put everything aside and go ahead and do your due diligence and count it as a recordable workplace injury all right so that's the highlight of part one go back and listen to that more Uh, we're gonna go right into part two so part two I'm going to go through the five-step, regular five-step process for uh, record-keeping. First is to determine, and, uh, oh, quick note, sidebar, we're making these quick. I'm going to do these short. We're not going to belabor this. It's a whole bunch of information that I would give you at once, so might as well do it in nice bite-sized chunks. So that's what we're going to do. So first of the five-step process is going to be you need to determine if the injury or illness that the worker is telling you that they have, is this an abnormal condition? So that's the first thing. So is the employee experiencing an abnormal condition? 
So the body is meant to have all its fluids inside and not outside. So if you're, uh, well, I shouldn't say that because <laughs> we do have some fluid that comes outside. Yes. Uh, but for instance, blood, that's meant to stay inside our body. If we start seeing it outside the body, that's an abnormal condition, right? So then that's the first step. You had an abnormal condition or the worker tells you they got a headache. That's an abnormal condition. You're not supposed to have a headache normally. So therefore, the next thing is to figure out, uh, you know, the, the next step once the worker's telling you that they had an abnormal condition is you want to figure out uh, truly at that point, is this work-related? And the criteria for work-related is actually more vague, or I should say more generalized than you would think. That's better word. Better way of saying it. More generalized. So I'm going to read the 19, oh, 1904 section 5 where it says work-related is determined based on whether or not an event or exposure in the work environment, and that's a trigger right there, work environment, either was a discernible cost or contributor to the resulting condition or significantly aggravated a pre-existing injury or illness. Work-relatedness is presumed for injuries and illness resulting from events or exposures occurring in the work environment, that's that term again, unless an exception specifically applies. So that term work environment that I used twice uh, for 1904 section 5, they go into that and says the establishment or location where employees are or are present as a condition of their employment, meaning they got to be here or they're going to be fired, then that's going to be their work environment. If they're using equipment or material, anything that they're doing in the interest of the employer, meaning the employer is getting the benefit from the efforts of the worker, uh, then that's going to extend that uh, work environment definition for you. So that's an important one. And just the wording that it says there in 1904 that work-relatedness is presumed for injuries and illnesses resulting from an event and exposure occurring in the work environment unless the exception applies. And actually, next episode, we'll get more deep into exceptions. Uh, this, we're just going to give you the processes. So we're not going to get into too many exceptions right now. Uh, however... You definitely want to know the exceptions. I will mention a few in just minor detail, but next episode we'll really dig into exceptions. So work environment. If you're doing anything in the interest of an employer or if you're someplace as a condition of your employment, at that point you're in the work environment. If there's an illness, an injury, uh, any kind of significant aggravation to a pre-existing condition, that is going to mean uh, your exposure at the workplace led to death, led to loss of consciousness, led to a day away restriction transfer case, DART, D-A-R-T, days away, that's the D-A, R is the restriction, T is the transfer. If the worker now has a DART instance, then that is going to be a significant aggravation to a pre-existing condition or if they need medical treatment. So they may have, let's say, the um, asthma and they're doing some work outside and the inhaler, they can't uh, get enough of that inhaler, it's still not working. And now in the work environment, this has happened 
that would be a significant aggravation, especially uh, if that event goes to a day away, a restriction or a transfer or medical treatment. Loss of consciousness, yeah, you gotta put that in as well. So those are some of the things that you're gonna be thinking of for significant aggravation to a pre-existing condition. So you gotta make sure that you record those things. So that's in that step. If you are at work as a member of the public, that doesn't count as as being uh, in the work environment. And then there's a bunch of exceptions related to that, and we're going to do the exceptions in a in the next episode. So we'll keep going on the the recordability side. If there is a work injury, a work-related injury, if, uh, let's say you're traveling, let's say it this way, if you're traveling and you have a work-related injury, this occurs while the employee is engaged in a work activity in the interest of the employer, an employer's interest, meets the conditions of work-relatedness while checked into the hotel, motel, or temporary residence. But it has to be an injury or illness that's taking place inside of the work environment, which now would extend to the hotel. But the task that the person is doing is in the interest of the employer. That's uh, that's the key. That's the phrase you're going to hear. It's the phrase of the day. If we were drinkers, then I'm sure it's time to do one of those drinking games with interest of the employer because you're going to hear that a few times in this short episode. Uh, work-relatedness, if you're at home, this one, it, it is possible for you to say that the work injury happened at your house, especially now that there's a lot of people that are, uh, if you have the opportunity to work at home, uh, then you now extend the work environment to the home, but you must prove that uh, there's a two-part to this condition. It's work-related if... I'm going to read this from 1904.5 B7. And how would you say that is section 5, paragraph B, subparagraph 7. So work-related, if the accident occurred while the employee is performing work for pay or compensation in the home or traveling, and, so this is a two-parter, the work is directly related to the job performance rather than the general home environment. So it's something that you're doing in the interest of the employer, that's the job environment. But the injury can't come because you you, know, you fell down the stairs because your toys, the kids' toys are on the ground and you didn't pick them up, even though you had to go up and down the stairs to get to your home office and back. Uh, no, that's not it. That's not what we're talking about here. So as long as the general home environment is in good condition and the incident was directly related to your job performance, doing something in the interest of an employer, and you're working at that time, so you're doing some sort of work, that's gonna be pretty much your um, your hours, since your hours are gonna be flexible, you're doing some work for the employer at that time, then that would become a work-related issue. So that one does count. So there's a, a couple of nuances there, right? You just wanna figure out first, is the employee experiencing an injury or illness? Second, 
is this work-related third step or third condition you're looking for? Is, is this a new case or an old case? If it's a new case, that means it's a new part of the body that was injured or a new type of illness. If it's an old case, then that means the person was completely recovered from that injury or re completely recovered from that illness and injured the exact same body part or got the same illness again. Then that's going to be a new case that time. Uh, how you know this is going to be through your doctor. When the doctor gives the clearance, that clearance for them to come back, the medical release, is going to be where you're thinking of... If this happens again, new case. If the person did not get that medical release and they go back to work and somehow they're working where they're supposed to be or they re-injure the same body part, then that's an existing case and you just update the records. So in some cases you may have said uh, from the doctor's note that uh, if the, the doctor's first note says that they should be back in two to three weeks and now all of a sudden they re-injure themselves and the doctor says, oh, now it's going to be four to six six weeks. So that's what you're going to do. You're just going to update your records. And then with any record updates, best practice is to do a single line with blue or black ink. And you do not use whiteout for any updates, but nice single line through the entry and then go ahead and update it after that. That's best practice for that. If the employee has to follow, uh, or I should say if, the employee must follow the doctor's recommendation, but exactly, again, if the doctor releases them, then at that point, that is going to be a new case. So just make sure you remember that one. Last step is if the injured or the person with the illness, they meet anything under the general criteria, which is in 1904 section 3, or excuse me, section 7, and an injury and illness, I'm going to read this one for you, is recordable if it results in one or more of the following. Death, a dart instance, days away restricted transfer, medical treatment beyond first aid, loss of consciousness, or a significant injury or illness diagnosed by the professional licensed healthcare provider. So if that is the case, then that will hit the general criteria for record keeping. When this happens, you want to make sure that you're going to uh, record your, uh, your injury uh, within the seven days, seven calendar days, or working days actually, for this one. So you want to make sure you get that in. And then from there, uh, let me make sure, I'm trying to go back to my memory on the calendar days because I believe it is going to be seven, but it is seven calendar days. I want to make sure it wasn't calendar days or working days because that's a big difference, right, between which days you have. So let's say you got that notification, seven calendar days has gone by and you have not put it in the 300 log, that's the violation there. Let's say you really want to make sure you get that in within seven days uh, so that you can keep yourself in violations, but also it's you know, keep on top of that. If you do have a worker 
who is going to need a day away, a restriction, or a transfer, when that happens, you're counting not the day of the incident, but the next day. And you're going to keep counting every single day, regardless if you're open or not, including holidays, vacations, all that. You're going to keep counting the days that the person cannot work, unless it is 180 days, six months in. You can stop your count if a worker leaves the place of employment. But other than that, you want to make sure that you're going to keep counting. Or when, of course, the doctor gets them, give them a release. Then at that point, you don't have to count because they're released from the doctor to do the regular duty. But seven calendar days, going to get that entry in your 300 log. You're going to count every single day that this person cannot uh, work as being a day missed. Cap your days at 180. Or if the person leaves, then you can go ahead and cap your days then. Same thing with transfers, same thing with restrictions. So you want to make sure, again, it's not the day of the incident, it's the following day. Uh, that's what you want to make sure that you're going uh, you're gonna to do. First aid is not recordable, but medical treatment is. So you want to make sure that you, you are definitely attuned to first aid versus medical treatment. There's a lot of nuances to first aid. If you're using non-prescription medicine at prescription strength, then that's medical treatment. But if it's non-prescription medication at non-prescription strength, that's first aid. If the person's getting a tetanus shot, that's first aid. Any wound covering, including liquid bandages, is going to be uh, first aid. Once you start using the zip stitch, where uh, you start um, working, I, I believe the zip stitch is, is a product name, but I don't understand. I'm not too sure what the actual thing that they're doing. But basically, it's an advanced bonding technique that you use with. Um, it's basically, I, I want to say like uh, I, my, the words are failing me at this point. I got the image in my mind. Zip ties. There we go. That's what we're using. Uh, but they're small and they're made specifically for medical. Uh, that is actually going to be medical treatment. It is not first aid. So you want to make sure you don't use those. And if you do, you're reporting it as medical treatment. Bloodborne pathogens is a nuance for record keeping. It, de it depends on how the person is exposed to the bloodborne pathogen, if it's recordable right away or recordable but delayed. Recordable right away would be if someone gets a needle stick with potentially infectious material, and that's recordable. If they get a splash in their eyes, it's not recordable yet until uh, that individual goes and uh, gets diagnosed with some sort of illness. When that happens, then it's a recordable event. So, of course, you're going to need to know when that happened. So that's going to be where your um, your internal paperwork is going to take over. Someone gets a stick, a needle stick, automatically. If it's potentially infectious material, then you're going to put that down as a recordable event. If they got splashed in the eye, you're going to have them fill out some sort of form or something that is going to keep you aware that you need to monitor this uh, employee. 
and then if they get diagnosed with something at that point now you're going to say that uh, that individual uh, was uh, basically susceptible to that disease and they now are going to uh, have a recordable event if they get diagnosed with something. If a worker is medically removed, meaning the doctor says the blood is saturated so much with what the pollutant is, then they now cannot be exposed to that until their blood level goes down or what other reason for medical removal, then at that point, uh, once the doctor removes them from that, uh, that medical removal is a recordable event. However, if the worker says, well, man, I don't feel that great, and you're like, all right, you know your body better than me, so let's go ahead and let's uh, give you, you know, uh, instead of working over here, we'll work you over there. All right, at that point, then the worker has self-restricted themselves, so at that point, it is not a recordable event, so voluntary is good. What you want to do in those cases is make voluntary removal an option for your workers. They're going to really appreciate that we'll cover a couple more and then the next episode we're going to really deal with uh, exceptions and I'll give you some examples as well but right now let's uh, finish up what is recordable so if you have a hearing loss there's a two-parter to this one as well the first part is a standard threshold shift. So when you're doing your audiometric exam, you're going to get a lot of different tones that they're going to uh, play for you at different volumes. And uh, you're going to OSHA focuses in on three particular tones. 2,000, 3,000, and 4,000 hertz. So those tones, when you hear them, yeah, uh, and you're going to be pushing that button to tell you, oh yeah, I hear it, oh yeah, I hear it, and you're pushing that button, uh, then whatever the first year's baseline is decibel wise how loud those tones are that's going to be recorded so if there is a threshold shift uh, a standard threshold uh, shift sts uh, osha counts that as those three hertz that 2000 3000 4000 hertz in one ear or both from the baseline or the previous year when you have to crank it up uh, there then you're gonna crank it up 10 decibels more then that's the first condition for a hearing loss the second condition is if the hearing now you have to crank up 25 decibels or more above your autometric zero uh, and that's uh, average of the two three and four thousand Hertz in the same air that you had the standard threshold shift then at that point you have experienced a hearing loss that becomes a recordable event so those are uh, some of the nuances uh, for tuberculosis as long as there's exposure only at work then it is a recordable event That's a double one too, an and so 1904 section 11 says record a case where employees is exposed at work to some with a known someone with a known case of active tuberculosis and the employee sub subsequently develops a tuberculosis infection. So it has to be at work, work related. Uh, someone at the workplace has TB, and then now the employee that's exposed to that person 
gets it as well. At that point, it is going to be a recordable issue. So next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the forms. Uh, so that's the OSHA 300, 300A, 301 forms. We'll go over those. Uh, we'll go over the exceptions. And then after that, um, we should be good. I'll probably do an, like a cleanup episode of things that maybe I've missed. But other than that, I'm going to go ahead and, and count it as we... we uh, covered what we needed to today. So thanks for listening. If you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, I invite you right now in whatever device you're listening to me on to go ahead and uh, hit subscribe. I want to make sure that we stay connected. So I've been kind of off on Mondays, meaning not putting up my episodes right on Monday, but I don't want you to go away. I don't want you to miss anything. So go ahead and hit subscribe. So the next time that I, I do an episode it's going to ping for you and it's going to let you know that hey Sheldon's got a new episode of Safety Consultant and at that point you could hear it so go ahead and subscribe to whatever uh, area you're listening to and I also want to invite you to the Safety Consultant uh, TV channel so what you would do is go to safetyconsultant.tv and you want to go ahead and sign up for that put in the code SC101 and that code is going to give you 30 days free so safetyconsultant.tv SC101 is going to give you a free code a three free month code and online you could watch episodes i have teaching you how to become a safety consultant step by step by step uh, you'll also have a chance to see uh, how to do written programs for your clients and not only how to do that but you will get templates if you watch this online and then you could download the templates and use it for your business starting as soon as you sign up uh, there's also playlist in there for mindfulness for success and other playlist in there. I got a Just for Fun playlist. Uh, there's plenty of playlists that you can see on safetyconsultant.tv. However, the real benefit to this is you could take this uh, this channel wherever you go. So wherever you are, you're going to take this channel with you with Safety Consultant TV. And that's going to be uh, on your Apple TV is going to be pretty much anywhere that you you listen to or you watch things such as Roku and all the other ones, your Fire Stick, all that. So that's an additional benefit. So go to safetyconsultant.tv, sign up online, check it out online if you want as well, but you want to make sure that it's also on your devices. So if you want to get online and mess with the computer, but you want to spend a little time learning about uh, some safety related material or even starting your own business uh, then go ahead you could kick back and forget off the Netflix and switch over to the safety consultant TV and uh, learn a little bit more all right so with that thank you so much for listening to episode 2 of OSHA record keeping 2022 go get them This episode has been powered by Safety FM. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.